0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islander's podcast from The Athletic. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Islanders actually played some games this past week since we were talking last. Uh, three games in four nights, still on the road, of course. Um, and they went 2-1. Two, um, two really good games, I thought, in Montreal and in Winnipeg. Winnipeg really was kind of the, the high point of the season so far, that 2-0 win over a pretty good Jets team. Another out, shutout for Ilya Sorokin. Um, Another goal for Brock Nelson, who had four the previous game in Montreal. We'll certainly get into talking about him in a little bit. And then on the end of the back-to-back, Semyon Varlamo's first game of the season. A 5-2 loss in Minnesota, which was really a 3-2 game until two empty net goals. But again, um, a 2-1 lead for the Islanders entering the third period. Two pretty good periods. And then a little bit of leakiness from their forwards and their defense, uh, just defensively. And then, uh, a little bit of leakiness from Semyon Varlamov, which is to be expected first game. in, I believe it was, uh, five months, uh, four months, I guess, since, um, since the game seven against, uh, Tampa in the semifinals, probably about four and a half months. And, um, you know, just, you got to knock off the rust at some point. And, uh, I think that winning goal by Brandon Duhame that, that kind of went under Ryan Pollock's stick and then kind of threw Varlamov on the glove side. We've seen that goal go in on Varlamov a couple of times before. I'm thinking about um, game two in Pittsburgh in the first round of the playoffs when he gave up a long-range softie from Brian Rust. That that glove side is, uh, is kind of where Varlamov, <clears throat> I think when he's not on his game or physically feeling a little bit um, off – that's where he gives up his goals, and I don't know if Minnesota had pretty good pre-scout on that, or just sort of knew that that might be the the place he's vulnerable as he's just kind of getting starting to get going. But um, it worked, and um, <clears throat> there was uh, a regulation loss that maybe shouldn't have happened. But um, again, all in all, a pretty good week. Um, as we mentioned, Brock Nelson five goals during the week four in Montreal. The first three all on uh, all on Jake Allen, all on the backhand, which um, kind of rare <clears throat> to see that a hat trick all on the backhand, and then a fourth uh, into the empty net. A big breakout game for Nelson, um, as I wrote at the time. Uh, you know, and having talked to him before the season started, this is an Olympic year. Brock Nelson has uh, not been an Olympian yet. Um, First time around in 2014, I don't think he would have uh, he would have made it. He was still pretty early in his career. And if the NHLers had gone in 2018, I don't think he would have been in the mix much either. But uh, I think he's right squarely in the mix right now, especially because down the middle of the U.S. is uh, a little bit weak right now. Jack Eichel seemingly not going to be able to be ready but in time for February if he's just getting his neck surgery this week. Um, if three months is the minimum timeline, that puts him kind of right in the Olympic position. Uh, you know, right before the Olympic tournament starts, I can't imagine that Vegas made that trade for him to have him kick off his uh, season uh, over in Beijing. So if he's out of the mix, you've obviously got Austin Matthews as your top center. And then it's, it's pretty wide open. Um, you know, JT Miller from Vancouver, um, Jack Hughes, if he's healthy, he's, he's currently out now with a shoulder injury that could linger for a while. Um, Kevin Hayes, I think, is in that mix. And Brock Nelson is in that mix. And I don't I don't think this is a team uh that you want to leave Brock Nelson off of. This is to me, this is a guy who plays a, a good two way game. He's got the most points, and I think he's got the most goals. I don't know if he's got the most points. He's definitely got the most goals of any American forward in the playoffs in the last three years. He's got twenty, I believe, in the last three postseasons. So um it just feels like it's his time, and, uh, and the, the neat thing about it, uh, as we wrote, was um, his uncle is Dave Christian, who was on the Miracle on Ice team in 1980. His grandfather is Billy Christian, uh, who's a legend in, in Minnesota hockey and was on the, the other U.S. gold medal winning team in Squaw Valley in California in 1960. So the incredible symmetry, he has another great uncle who played on the 1956 uh, Olympic hockey team for the U.S., it's an incredible history in that family. Um, you know, Nelson is from Warroad, Minnesota. Also from Warroad, Minnesota, TJ Oshie, who became the shootout king in uh, in Sochi in 2014. Uh, Gigi Marvin, who's a two time Olympic medal winner for the on the women's side, is also from Warroad. It's uh, it's Hockey Town USA, and just if one more member of that community and one more member of the Christian family. Um, Nelson's mom is, uh, is, is, was a Christian growing up and, and now she's a Nelson and, uh, it's, uh, it, it would be a neat, a neat thing to see Brock Nelson make that Olympic team. And obviously Anders Lee, uh, you'd think would be in the mix as well, but, um, I think for Nelson, it, uh, it would be something special. <clears throat> so three, three games, two and one, five, three and two record for the Islanders, uh, now through 10 games, three more games to go on this road trip. They're in Jersey this week, next week back-to-back in Tampa and Florida, and then the preparations to start at UBS Arena. It's um, it's an exciting time. Um, you know, I don't think the Islanders have quite hit hit their stride. Uh, the game in Winnipeg, I think, was, uh, was probably the closest to how they want to be playing all year long. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not quite there, but I don't know that anybody expected them to be fully there at the end of this crazy road trip with all the Ups and downs, and going around the around the country and different time zones, and coming back, and a long stretch without games that they're currently in right now. Um, it's a very weird schedule, and I think weird has kind of been normal for the Islanders the last couple of years, given the the run they had in the bubble, and uh, the return to play a couple su- last the summer before last, and then playing most of last season without fans, uh, finishing up, closing out the Coliseum in incredible style. It's uh, it's been a lot these last uh, eighteen months. So uh I think it was Cal Clutterbuck that said that uh, you know that they've had a lot of challenges to deal with uh in these last couple seasons, so this is nothing new for them. So five, three, and two I think is uh is a pretty good spot for them to be in and um and having Varlama back in the mix uh going forward will be a big help. He, you know, hopefully got the one clunker out of the way, I would imagine. You're gonna see Ilya Sorokin coming off the long break uh in New Jersey on Thursday. They're gonna split the games in Florida. And it's another couple days off. And then you're going to see a pretty consistent run of games for this team. A lot of them at home. So I think that'll settle some things down. Um, And I think you're going to see a lot of both goalies going forward. And and, uh, that will allow Varlamov to get into more of a rhythm. Um, We've talked a lot about Zdeno Chara. Uh, We threw open the questions for this show. Uh, We'll get into it in the next couple segments into the mailbag. Not too many about Chara. Um, He had a pretty good week. Uh, You know, looked a little bit more like the Zdeno Chara of old um had a couple of assists. I don't necessarily think that he is all the way there and the questions about whether this is the group of defensemen that they can carry into a playoff, a long playoff run, um still seems a bit uh, up in the air, but um I don't think that uh Lou Lamarillo is, is sitting on his hands in any way, shape or form. Uh Johnny Boychuk's contract was traded. That was the only real news of last week. Um they shipped his the last year of his contract out to Buffalo uh, for future considerations, which I assume is nothing because this is a move that helps both franchises, as as Lou Lamarillo pointed out. After trading Jack Eichel, the Sabres needed to get to the cap floor. Johnny Boychuk's $6 million cap hit does that. Uh, and trading Johnny Boychuk's cap hit gets the Islanders out of long-term injured reserves so that they can now start to accrue cap space as the season goes on. The way the cap situation works is – each day is a snapshot, but as the days get shorter in the year, uh, the contract that you, the contract that you can take on gets a little bit bigger. If uh, you know, I, I think if, if they're around two and a half million dollars in cap space right now, that could be up to about ten million in terms of what kind of contract you can bring on once you get closer to the deadline. So um, they have room to make an addition now. They have some room to make additions later. So uh, it, it was a win-win for both. Franchises and uh, certainly for the Islanders who are going to be on the lookout for some help, uh, probably on defense, probably on the left side. So uh, you can start to hunt around on cap friendly and, and start to look at some rosters of some other teams that are struggling this year and start to say, I wonder what it would take to get Hampus Lindholm out of Anaheim, even though they're not struggling right now, or what it would take to get Calvin DeHaan out of Chicago or Travis Dermott out of Toronto. And he is apparently available now. I don't know if that's the guy they want to commit to, but.
0: You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. All right,
1: now we're going to open up the mailbag. You've got mail. Uh, lots of good questions. I appreciate it. The news of the early part of the day, a retweet uh, that I posted from out of Russia said that uh, Leo Komarov. Was going to go to uh, SKA, the team in St. Petersburg in the KHL. Um, and that was just the tweet. Nothing really has happened since then. Um, Leo Camaro was not on any sort of unconditional waivers uh, today to terminate his contract, which I presume would be the thing that needed to happen to allow him to go over there. From what I understand, talking to some people who know, who talk to Leo pretty regularly, um, I don't know that he'd decided quite yet. I don't know that the Islanders have sorted it out quite yet. Uh, it doesn't sound like they would just let him go play and finish out his contract in Russia. He would have to terminate his contract here and then sign a contract in the KHL, and that hasn't happened yet. So it's, things are still a little bit on hold. But if it does come to pass, then that's another contract off the books. Leo Komarov's three million dollar cap hit comes off. More room for Lou Lamarillo to play with. Um, and the situation with with Komarov, you know, he's a guy that. Uh, took a lot of heat. I certainly have delivered some of it. He's not the most skilled guy. Uh, Barry Trotz had a lot of trust in him and and maybe too much at times putting him with Matthew Barzal for most of the playoff run last, last spring um, when perhaps another more skilled player might have worked better there. But um, you know, this is a guy, and I'm sure that when we get a chance to talk to some players if this decision does come to pass, that this is a guy who's beloved in this room. He's a guy who... who was one of the first signings by Lamarillo who had had him in Toronto. Thought he would be the kind of guy that would help uh, kind of galvanize uh, a team that he didn't, that Lamarillo didn't really know could push through and become the sort of solid 1 through 18 skater team um, that they've become. And, uh, you know, I, I think a guy like Komarov comes into a situation like that and you want him to, to be a solid guy in the room and keep things light do the fundamentals on the ice, kill some penalties, hit some people, be a pain in the butt. But uh, you know, a guy like that becomes obsolete. As he gets older, his his skills erode, even if they weren't so great to begin with. And um, the team learns to kind of run, walk and then run on its own in terms of operating a system like Barry Trotz's. So um, it's kind of a, you know, Komarov is a, a bit of a victim of the success of the Islanders in that they didn't really need him anymore. And, and he was a bit of a square peg in a round hole eventually because they had their identity line. They had some, some good third line players bringing in Zach Parise, pushed him further down. Um, So, you know, I I think you're going to hear over the next few days, like I said, if this does come to pass some, some very warm sentiments expressed by the Islander players, by Barry Trotz, if this is it for Leo Komarov with the Islanders and in the NHL, and especially from Matthew Barzal. And, um, we're not in the room much anymore, but I think uh, that was first year plus being in the room and seeing that Barry Trotz put Leo Komarov next to Matthew Barzal uh, the first couple of months of, the se- of that 18-19 season when they were on the road, um, not necessarily to be a mentor in any way, but to be a guy who keeps who kept Matthew Barzal loose and on his toes, uh, Leo, not uh, not a subtle sense of humor in any shape or form, but a guy who, who like I said, likes to keep things loose Um and I think that can have an impact on a star player like Barzal, and those guys were pretty tight. And I'm sure Barzal, most of all, will be the guy who says the nicest and uh, and most fond things about uh, about Uncle Leo. So um, there's always there's always uh, a whipping boy in, in Islanders Twitter, and and Kamarov was it for a long time. But um, but I think now that it looks like he's he's done with the Islanders, uh, I'm sure it will turn to maybe some. Some nostalgia because he was a part of some very good Islander teams and not a lot of Islander players in the last, say, 35 years can really say that. Um, looking at some of the more specific questions. Um, interesting question about Varlamov. He gave up a goal against the Wild, uh, maybe being rushed after being out on that to play the puck. And thoughts on goalies playing the puck, Islanders goalies in particular. Um, I think everybody who's a fan of a certain vintage remembers... Rick DiPietro maybe being a little too confident playing the puck. But, um, you know, you don't want a goalie who's who's afraid to play the puck. Goalie touches are a huge part of the game, even a goalie that's not necessarily the most most aggressive or the most comfortable doing it. Um, you have to have a goalie who pops out of the net to stop dump-ins, to um, be able to play pucks to his D. Um you know, and I don't think the Islanders have had a lot of goalies in recent memory. Thomas Grice was pretty good at it, and uh, that's probably the guy that was the best. I think we can all also, in more recent memory, think of Robin Leonard in game three against Carolina in the second round of 2019, playing a puck that uh, he couldn't rim past Sebastian Ajo, turned into the game winning goal by Carolina. Um, so, you know, I think that it's basically it's a fine line with goalies. You You have to have them touch the puck, and they have to be part of the. The, the system to counterattack a forecheck and, on dump-ins, but um, you don't want someone that's too aggressive to get themselves into trouble. And and I think with Varlamov, he's rarely a guy who overhandles the puck. Uh, same with Sorokin. I think Sorokin's getting better at it. Um, but, uh, but I think the Islanders trust their system well enough in their own zone and the communication well enough that they don't need a goalie to, to make any sort of aggressive play or do something a little bit unorthodox. They want to have it be simple. And I think in that situation on Sunday, maybe it, it, it's, uh, another, another aspect of the rust in Varlamov's game because he's not been in a game facing live opponents. Um, and you can practice those dump ins and, and goalie touches all you want in practice, but it's definitely not the same. So I don't think you're going to see that too, too much, but, uh, but we did see at that time. Um, we got another question about Sebastian Aho? Could he do a conditioning stint in Bridgeport? Yes, he could. Um, he certainly could, and I, you know, the player has to agree to it. I don't think it can be more than uh ten days. It used to be two weeks, It might be a little bit less than that now. But yes, if they if a guy hasn't played for a certain amount of time, even if he's on the roster, they, they can go. The Rangers just did that with Libor Hayek. Uh he was healthy the entire time and as the eighth defenseman with them, so he got sent down to to the AHL. So I think Aho could go. Um, it would be interesting to see if they decided to do that and who they brought up. You know, Samuel Bolduc was kind of the The next, the next man up uh, after the good season he had last year, but uh, he missed most of training camp with uh, what I understand was a groin injury, and then he's been working his way back. He's been in the last few games in Bridgeport. I think he's playing well, but I think Robin Sallow, who had a great camp with the Islanders, uh, has kind of gotten a little bit more attention, a little bit more ice time uh, to start in the AHL. He leads the Islanders defenseman. I think it's uh, the Bridgeport Islanders defenseman with five points. So if you were to feel good about your top six and want to see ajo at least get a couple of games, maybe a weekend's worth of games um that would be an interesting swap to see who who they who they brought up whether it would be bulldog or whether it would be Salo to, to reward Salo for that good camp and bring him back and and let him practice with the islanders for a little bit i don't know that they would make a switch to put him in the lineup but uh but yeah it's um it's an interesting situation with the islanders d they really they're really going with that top six. They don't seem to have a lot of plans to alter it very much. Uh, practice that I was at uh, on Tuesday on the island, Aho was very much the seventh defenseman again. So I think the schedule has allowed them to have some leeway. Chara is still you know, in good shape physically. I don't know that he's uh, you know, going to be able to withstand the grind when the games get really tight, when there's a lot of three and fours and four and sixes. But uh, I don't think they have any plans to alter that. And i uh, got an interesting question about uh, Anatoly Goloshev, who I've written about a couple of times. He leads uh, Bridgeport. I think he's tied for the team lead with five goals down there. Um, what scenario do you see him cracking the lineup in, in the NHL outside of an injury? I don't outside of an injury. I think they've made it pretty clear that this is their top 12. Um, you know, Kiefer Bellows got a couple of games when guys were, were down with a stomach bug. Ross Johnston got a few games when Matt Martin was still on his way back from his offseason ankle surgery. But the top twelve has been pretty clear, I think, since uh, Zach Parise signed, even before training camp started. This is this is the group they're going to go with. I don't know that Barry Trotz sees any reason to alter it right now. Um, as far as the bottom six goes, there's nobody you're really taking out. The fourth line is you know is what it is. If you take one of those guys out, you certainly don't get the same effect. Um, and I think that third line with Parise, Pajot, and Oliver Wallström has been probably their best line this year. It's tailed off a little bit in the last week, but um, I don't really see an opportunity for Golishev, which creates a problem. You know, he's a guy that I don't think comes over after eight years in the KHL to say I'm going to I'm going to spend my whole time in Bridgeport and just sort of bide my time. Um, you know, I don't think he's playing a ton of power play down there, which is surprising to me. So, and it makes what he's been doing in terms of scoring goals, five and eight games, pretty, pretty effective. So I have to think that based on what we know of, of veteran Russian players that come over, especially in this organization, even, even pre Lou Lamarillo, we had one of those with uh, Kirill Petrov a while back. Uh, We had one in the Lamarillo era and Jan Kovash who came over and didn't even make it through training camp. It seemed before he, he bolted elsewhere. Um, If there's no room for Goloshev and there's no call-up, which, you know, if they were to call him up, it would have to be via an injury or they'd have to decide to probably put Kiefer Bellows on waivers. And that seems like a situation they're trying to avoid, even though he's not a regular in the lineup. Um, Then I wonder if Goloshev is still uh, in North America by the time mid-December or Christmas rolls around. Um, You know, he's he's a valuable guy in the KHL. It'd be interesting to see him get a get a sniff here, but um but they have their lineup and they're not you know, they're not gonna make any alterations just to keep a guy here or tempt him to stay. So um, you know, I, I think that's that's a situation to watch based on talking to some people around the league and some people who know Goloshev a little bit that uh I don't know how much longer he's gonna wait. Uh one more interesting question about um home ice advantage. Um Asking how long it'll take the Islanders to make UBS Arena feel like uh, a place that they can have a home ice advantage, whether it's day one or whether it's longer. Barry Trotz mentioned the other day that I think next week when they get back from their Florida swing and their trip is officially over, they have maybe four days until the home opener. I would imagine all of those days that are practice days are going to be held at UBS just to get a feel for the ice, kind of see the sight lines, the goalies get used to seeing what it looks like. Um, in talking to guys, and and I think some of the players here have the benefit of having played in a new arena, which was Barclays. Again, not an ideal spot for hockey, but still uh, a new building and something that you had to adjust to. And I certainly remember the team taking Long Island Railroad there for a, a preseason practice um, many years ago and then starting to play there in the 2015-16 season, having morning skates there for a little while before they decided to change. Um, you know, and the ice was bad and the sight lines were not great and the black background with the seats was a little confusing for goalies, but they got used to it a lot quicker than teams that would come in once or twice a year. And I think their record there reflects it. I think they were well over 600 winning percentage in Barclays in their years there. Uh, and I think a lot had to do with how unique that building was, um, the things that were drawbacks to everyone, to the fans, um. To the even to the players, the you know the weird sight lines, the overhang at the one end, uh, all those things felt off. The off kilter scoreboard, but they feel more off to a team that's just there for the day. Um, And I think the Islanders were able to get used to it a lot quicker. I don't I don't know what UBS will be like as a player, but. if it's more uniform with a lot of other rinks, then that's great for the fans and that's great for the comfort of the players but um but it's also great for the comfort of the visitors so uh, I'm curious to see how long it will take what the noise level will be when it's full right away um you know there's a lot of things that you can't really you can't really predict or or try to practice before you actually see it so um that part will be interesting I, I do wonder. Islanders have been a very good home team under Barry Trotz, and they've been a very good home team in general since since the Barclays era began in 2015. So I don't think that part will change. If you're a good team, you're usually a good team at home. Um, but uh, but the newness of it, I think, will be end up being more of a factor for for visiting teams that are coming there for the first time. And if you've got visiting teams that are coming in for the first time in say March or April, um, that's probably advantage Islanders by then because they're used to it, and these new team these teams that are coming in are not. Um, and let's see, we've got time, I think, for one more question, maybe a couple more. Carl asks, uh, the Islanders have a couple of guys that, uh, were grandfathered into the no visor rule. Zdeno Char and Matt Martin, he's asking if they have the most of those players in the league. The Islanders are the oldest team in the league, so it's kind of common sense to say they probably have the most guys that got grandfathered in. Um, I can't imagine there's more than, six or eight of those guys right now, and I'm trying to think of, of who they might be. But definitely uh, definitely Big Z and Matt Martin, um, probably two of the only ones that, uh, that are left. Um, and maybe we've got time for one more. Uh, let's see. This is uh, from our friends at the Through the Island podcast. Um, constant critique of the team is they lack a go-to finisher. Uh, Oliver Wallstrom's pedigree is that of a sniper. The results have started to come. How much more trust does he need to build up with Trotz to get bumped up the line, line up permanently to swap, say, with Josh Bailey or Kyle Palmieri? Um, I don't know that that's necessarily in the offing uh, just because the fits are good, you know. Um, you always have to go back to Barry Trotz's first rule, which is guys have to know their roles and we want guys in roles to succeed so that means you don't shuffle the lines unless you know that the roles won't be affected. Um, and for Oliver Wallstrom, he's getting some power play time. He's getting pretty regular minutes on the third line when they rotate their four lines quite evenly, which they've done. Um, and I don't think there there's an appetite to change that. Maybe as things move along or maybe next season, um, if there's a change, say, with Josh Bailey, uh, then maybe you can think about it or, or a change with Matthew Barzell. But... Uh, but I think for now, Barry Trotz seems pretty happy with the configuration of his forwards. Bailey um, has been pretty good with, with Barzal and, and Anders Lee. That line had a couple of good nights, especially in Winnipeg. Um, Nelson and Palmieri and Anthony Beauvillier had a great night in Montreal. Uh, Palmieri's made a couple of really nice plays. He still doesn't have a goal this year, which is surprising. But um, but I think that line is generating enough for Trotz's, uh, you know Trotz to be happy with it. And then you've got Wallstrom, and I know that um, progress is uh, is not always linear. And this is a guy who can score goals from areas of the ice that no other Islander can. Uh, the goal he scored against Montreal was kind of a, a, a very uh, you know typical Oliver Wallstrom goal, where he got the puck off his stick quick enough, so quickly that a goalie didn't have time to react. But um, but barring an injury, I don't see them messing with the with the situation that they have right now, especially with that third line, because you've got. A couple guys in Parise and Pajot who can dig pucks out, and then a guy who you can get the puck to who makes things happen when he shoots it. Um, So I think that that trio is is something that was together, uh, and they were that was a clear, clearly they were going to be together at the beginning of training camp. That was what Barry Trotz had in mind, and he doesn't really alter too much of that unless he sees a real need to, whether injury or. Poor performance, and, uh, and Oliver Wallstrom has been anything but poor so far. So uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Desmond, but um, I think you're going to see Oliver Wallstrom stay with on that third line and get some power play time. And if it means he only ends up with 25 goals this year instead of maybe 35, you have to wait and see what happens in the playoffs because that's when it matters. Thanks, everybody, for all the questions as usual. Um, and thanks for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform to leave a rating and review. If you're enjoying the show, it really helps us out. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. Only a few more sleeps until they're actually at Belmont. And just FYI, we're not changing the name of the podcast because you all know it so well. Um, but we'll have another show next week and, uh, a few more great guests to come in the next, in the coming weeks. So make sure you tune in. Thanks everybody.